The TNT Shop has great gift ideas for your furry family member at tntradio.live. Dean Mackin on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. G'day and welcome to Tump Day. How did we get here so quick? It was the weekend and and we're halfway through the working week. Glad we're here. Glad you're with us here at TNT. And uh, I think you'll be glad when I tell you who we've got coming up this hour. Of course, uh, Gemma Cooper will be coming up imminently. But I'm talking to a guy named Billy Tikahika Jr. He's based over in New Zealand and he's leading up or a big part of the New Zealand Citizens COVID-19 Inquiry. And it's not one of those pantomimes like the government put on. This is done by the people. It'll be fair income, and uh, they might get to the bottom of what happened in New Zealand. They were very hard done by under uh, uh, Justin Trudeau's sister from another mister, the wonderful and talented, uh, some would say Mr. Ed's daughter, uh, Jacinda Ardern. I don't like her one little bit. She's off with her brown paper bag job to uh, uh, look after the rest of the world from a global perspective. And New Zealand shall be recovering from her reign, if you will, for quite some time. Lessons learned? Let's hope so. But certainly uh, Billy T. Gahika Jr. will be uh, letting us know about that and just how New Zealand is feeling post Jacinda Ardern, that's something I'd like to get to the bottom of as well. Also, I'll be talking to Dr. Peter Rin. He is a former uh, professor and head of physics at James Cook University in Townsville. Uh, we're going to be talking to him about a bunch of things, including uh, a rally that is going to be happening in Canberra, the first sitting day of Parliament, and we're going to get a whole bunch of people along to this. It's going to be absolutely massive, and we're going to raise awareness of all the nonsense that's going on uh, when it comes to uh, all this electricity offshore, the wind farms uh, off the coast of New South Wales and other states now here in Australia, and certainly Peter Ridd, Dr. Peter Ridd, will have a bunch to say about that. Uh, Thanks for sticking around. For those of you listening and not looking, then you should give it a go. Get onto YouTube or Rumble and uh, type in TNT Livestream and you can have a have a look at how we do this behind the scenes. It's a bunch of fun. It's a very different way to look at TNT and we certainly would appreciate if you get on there and give that a crack. Now, it's all happening over in the Ukraine. And before I even get on to the numbers, and I mean, the numbers are horrific. And by the end of this, we're talking half a trillion US dollars. Forget the rest of the countries in the world that have jumped on this Ukrainian bandwagon. That is just the US. This is a country who is struggling to pay welfare in some states, struggling to pay police who had to raise their debt ceiling and shall continue to have to raise that debt ceiling. How they'll ever pay it off is anyone's uh, guess. Of course, I would suggest that when you don't pay for something, those who you owe the money simply come in and take what you got which would be what remains of the US. I'm guessing they already have a bunch of that. But uh, yeah, people estimating that half a trillion dollars. Wow, $500 billion is going to be the number. But anyway, um, the thing that we have to look at in the Ukraine, and it is the most horrific thing. I mean, we talk about a battle. It's this abstract concept. You know, it's a battle. People die. We get it. But they're real people. And whether... You're on the side of Russia or the Ukraine. These are typically younger men, people that probably aren't many of them old enough uh, to have had a family yet. And so not only are they being killed in huge numbers, you know, potentially good people on both sides, uh, certainly those on the Ukrainian side being forced to go and fight, being dragged off 
the street with their sons, some of them, to be put on the front line. I saw a video recently of a young fellow with Down syndrome in a trench on the Ukrainian front. I mean, that is how chronic this situation is getting. Who does that? Who sends uh, a, a disabled person, somebody with uh, Down syndrome to the front? And there's clear video of that on the internet if you want to go and check that out. And he's... Uh, compatriots not treating him very nicely either so to add insult to injury but there are some people that have been very outspoken about this but an entire generation literally a generation just wiped out sent like cannon fodder and that is the real price of this war those people funneling all this money into weaponry and but bear in mind that only a percentage of that is getting to where they want it to get this is the most corrupt country, if you want to call it part of Europe there in the Ukraine, they are literally the most corrupt country. You can imagine how much money do you think is actually getting to the front? Billions upon billions, half a trillion alone by the end of this. And don't forget the US said that they will rebuild this country at the end. That is estimated to be about two to $300 billion. But why? Why? Because they want an ally over in the part of Europe that apparently is where they can take on Russia, where they are, are someone that can stand up to Russia. Well, they've already proven that they can't. They're saying that they're going to, you know, you know the old saying about uh, don't give a man a fish, teach a man the fish. Well, they're going to set up infrastructure so that the Ukraine can look after itself against Russia. Not going to happen. They are happy to send the Ukrainian uh, young people to their grave to fight what for? But their assets, that's really what it's about. It's not really about sticking it to Russia. Well, it kind of is, but it's more about protecting the assets that they've already gone in and secured in the Ukraine. And all, all the while, we're forgetting the immense numbers, and I've seen numbers estimated to be a couple hundred thousand people who, and if they're not dead, they are seriously maimed. These are young people who will be patients for life. It will be a welfare state and do you think the Americans are going to pay for those who are injured? No, they will only pay for more weaponry to do more harm and to secure their win. Those who have already had a crack, who have uh, gone and supported America, I would say it's more about uh, supporting America than it is the Ukraine, they will be forgotten, they will be discarded, and they will not get any kind of help moving forward. You can you can uh, bet your bottom dollar on that. But uh, a U.S. Senator, J.D. Vance, he's been very outspoken uh, over there in Ohio, and he has said that there are people there who are advocating to send money to the Ukraine when they can't even pay their pensioners what uh, what is due to them. I mean, they can't even uh, no money for Social Security. But we've got money to borrow that we'll send to the Ukraine to send young Ukrainians off to die to protect our assets. What a bunch of bastards these people are. And I just really hope that, you know, we wake up here, the Americans, you know, the English people, the Canadians, all of us wake up and say, stop, stop sending money, stop sending these people to their death. You know, you know, you've lost this fight, you're never going to win it. And it just needs to stop now before it's too late. Because at the end, we know the outcome. We already know the outcome. It's been obvious from pretty much, well, I guess anyone that's intuitive knew that they could never win. The Ukraine could never win this fight. I think it's horrific. And um, how many more people have to die?
And again, not only those who have died, but the kids that they'll never have. And their numbers, I think we really should spend some time thinking about. But people like US Senator from Hawaii, sorry, from Ohio, I should say, JD Vance, good on you for getting up there and having a say. And you can find a pretty good interview with him uh, with Tucker Carlson if you go hunting about on the internet. I would suggest that you do that. Uh, don't miss out on a thing. Be sure to download the TNT Radio app from either the Apple App Store or, of course, if you've got an Android on Google Play so you can listen to us or watch us from anywhere at any time. Now, it's available to download, and, of course, we will be keeping you up to speed right here at today's News Talk TNT. Talk that matters. For once, we just need to do what's best for this damn country and not what's best for the world. Today's News Talk Radio TNT. And good morning to Gemma Cooper. Morning there, Dean. Yeah, wonderful editorial there. And, and it just illustrates how that those who are in charge of the world and in charge of assets protection and all that, that the contempt in which they hold all of us underneath them. There's no regard for human life, no regard for the condition of human lives. And uh, I think that what you just said there illustrates it perfectly. I'm, I'm just surprised people continue to go. That's, that's my feeling on, on that, Ukraine. I try not to engage too much with war wherever they seem to be popping up in the world because, one, there's nothing I can do about it. And two, when you when you look at it dispassionately, when you're when you're of a perception as we are, and you can see the truth of the situation. Your, your heart goes out to all the people that think they're doing the right thing, <clears throat> just like in World War One and World War Two, where you're told you're fighting for your country. It's anything but. Um, you know, World War One was a massive population control exercise, if nothing else. And and World War Two was completely not what it said on the tin. But people believe what they're told, and that's what that is so um, disheartening. You know, you just wish that people would wake up on mass and go, "No, we're not going to carry out your agendas. No, we're not going to fight for your assets. No, we're not going to um, take part in your rituals." You know, that's that's where. That's where the power lies, and they know that too. If we all just said, no, this is all over. Yeah, I mean, history is written by the victors. And, of course, you know, I mean, Russia is literally fighting for their motherland, for their way of life, for their country. And the Ukrainians, they don't want to fight. That's why, you know, people have fled in great numbers. Some people referring to those who fled as cowards. They're not cowards. They don't want to fight a war that is unjust, a, a war that they know they can't win. And the, as, you, as you have agreed, I mean, there is no bigger price that has been paid than that of blood here. And you don't see the media showing these young dead Russians, these young dead Ukrainian people. That is the true price of this war. But these rich, you know, ol oligarchs, these people behind the, the curtain, they don't give a stuff about those people. They will, they'll never send their own kids to go fight those war and those wars. It's all about the money and that's all they care about. And we just need to wake up and stop this thing right now. Yeah, luckily, I do think people are. And 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 this leads me on to the story this morning. It's hump day. So let's take some positivity out of yep. this. We've talked about the post office scandal um, here in the UK quite a lot on the show, because I think when I brought the story to your attention last week, even I could hear you with your sharp intake of breath, not you know, being able to comprehend the level of, of corruption and lies and the establishment now looking after its own um, with regard to this post office scandal and the number of people wrongly convicted. Uh, some took their own lives after the faulty IT system. AI, let's call it what it was. It was early AI. It shows you where we're all going with this. Uh, but at last, uh, Paula Venels, who was in charge of the post office uh, from 2012 while the investigations were being carried out and these poor people were being sent to prison, she's finally bowed to public pressure 
Russia, uh, more than a million signatures this week on that petition. She is going to hand back her CBE. It's the highest honour that can be bestowed by the royal family and the government on any person for services to their particular field. I mean, it makes a mockery of it. Uh, she's bowed to public pressure. She says she hasn't spoken out, out about this so far because the post office inquiry post office inquiry is ongoing into this, the IT failure. Uh, evidence is due to resume tomorrow in the post office inquiry. So before that's got underway, she has said she will hand back the CBE. Now, with honours like this, you have to either hand them back or the ruling monarch will can take them back. That's that that's pretty much never happened. Um, that's probably why Tony Blair still clung on to his CBE, the Order of the Garter, uh, because King Charles would have to take it back. Uh, then oh, it's just all very complicated and, and it's, it's not the done thing. But she is handing hers back um, and, and that is a direct result of public pressure. What's really interesting as well is that this woman went on to be ordained as an Anglican priest, you know, a Christian. Um, and I, I struggle to see the Christian values in the in the extensive cover up and the lies and the willful uh, cruelty that was inflicted upon these people. And you could talk about war or you could look at this situation that the end result is the same. It's the establishment versus the people on the ground, the little people, the people that prop the whole system up. If no one went to war in the Ukraine, uh, refused to go, it would all be over. These people plow their life savings into um, taking on post offices. It was seen as very, it still is seen as a very respectable uh, profession, maybe not quite so much now, um, but it's the people underneath propping up the system. Uh, and this is how they were treated. It's an analogy that can be applied to anything. Um, she's bowed to public pressure. She's giving the CBE back. It's, it's taken quite a bit of time for this. And I don't really think she felt like she had a choice with this, but she's, she is still an ordained Anglican priest and her church uh, only uh, only a, a f yesterday, I think it was the church that's uh, that she kind of is is ensconced in. Um, compared to the po the drama, the the television drama, uh, which has brought this attention, fueled it back into the public consciousness. They said, "Oh, it's just a piece of fiction. It's like the Crown. There's some elements of truth in that, but more, it's like the Crown. Take some of it with a pinch of salt." That was the church, the church that she's with. You know, the Christians. The Christian values of our society. Oh, it's not really true. Basically, that's what they're saying. That's a, the inference. That's the inference. But she's giving her CBE back. It's Wednesday. It's hump day. Let's hope that people pressure can be applied to not just this situation of corruption and elite cover-ups and establishment, but anything that comes to light now because of the events of uh, 2020 onwards. We see things clearly and we will stand up to the system. Well, Christian values, not quite what they used to be. I wonder if she did that as some sort of penance and it was weighing heavily on her conscience. I would only hope that was the case. Of course, she's handed it in. I would much rather her have not wanted to hand it in and her have it taken from her forcibly. I would have much rather seen that. Has she apologised? Has there been some heartfelt public apology yet? At the time uh, when the when the when the brave uh, sub postmistresses and masters took the took the post office to the high court and won, they had to do it themselves. You know, the internal investigation turned up nothing. Obviously, it didn't. They were all covering it up. Um, at the time, then uh, when the high court said, "Look, these people apologise." Uh, she hasn't apologized now. No, I, I was looking through the statements looking for an apology. No, she just said, oh, I haven't said anything up to the moment because I know the inquiry is ongoing and there's more evidence this week. Didn't feel it was appropriate. Um, but I've listened to public opinion and I will hand my honor back. No, no, no apology. No apology. Well, it, doesn't, we it certainly doesn't sound like the Christian values that I was aware of 
once upon a time. But I'm, I'm glad she's handed that back. She certainly doesn't deserve it. But um, a heartfelt apology would go a long, long way in that healing process, something she needs to do. And as a Christian minister, how would that have not occurred to her if she's been told not to do it as a matter of, uh, you know, admission of liability? It's a bit late for that anyway, uh, according to the court. So um, why wouldn't she do it? I just don't understand. Because those at the top are not like us at the bottom. They lack compassion. They lack empathy. They lack the basic kind of human emotions. That's how they get to the top. I swear to God, I do. I, I, I you, you know, it's, it's. You think that you, you put your trust in authorities and institutions. Well, we did. Uh, I think the last, you know, since twenty twenty, the last four years has shown. Don't bother. They're they're not like us. They are not like us. That, that's all I'll say. And Gemma, as we've discovered over the last three years, when they get it wrong, they don't apologise. They double down and they just keep telling the lies and hope that the lies, if you tell them long enough, shall become true. I think people are far too uh, smart for that. And of course, um, after I talk to my next guest, uh, he'll be all over that because he's leading an inquiry uh, down in New Zealand or across in New Zealand uh, and one done by the people, not one of these pantomimes that the government puts on. And we're going to be talking to Billy T. Kahika Jr. right after this. Thank you, Gemma Cooper, for, for joining us. And of course, you'll be back next hour here at TNT. And all you have to do, you lot, is hang around. We'll be back right after this. TNT Radio's Steve Malzberg. 13 Israeli hostages released uh, as part of that ceasefire deal uh, 49 days after they were taken hostage. 49 days. So that still leaves about 225 to 227 more hostages. Uh, I'm with John Bolton, the former national security advisor to Donald Trump. I'm with Britt Hume of, uh, of Fox News. I'm with a bunch of other people who say this gives Hamas too much time to do whatever they want to do, to do whatever they need to do, to regroup, to rearm, to re-strategize. And as much as you want the hostages back, it can't be at the expense of the other part of the mission, which is to destroy Hamas. I think it's a mistake. Steve Malsberg on TNT Radio. While serving in Vietnam, a grenade took my ability to see. Today, I'm a sculptor creating new visions. Now, my fingers are my eyes. As a veteran, I know the challenges of life can be great. In my art, turning a lump of clay into something beautiful, that means a lot to me. Life is like that. We each must use what we can to make things better. DAV helps veterans like Michael get the benefits they've earned. They help more than a million veterans every year in life-changing ways. Now, I show others how they can create something with their own hands. With support from DAV, more veterans can shape their lives into a thing of beauty. My victory is bringing beauty into the world. Michael Naranjo, May your victories inspire many more. Support more victories for veterans. Go to DAV.org. It sounds pretty good. It's it like, sounds real, it's dude. Not bad, huh? This is today's News Talk Radio, TNT. And welcome back to the program. I'm especially excited. As you all know, I'm very proud of who my friends are. And I tell you all the time, most of them are Maldives from New Zealand, some of the best people you'll ever meet, one of the best cultures. And to be a part of it, to be around such people, it rubs off on you. It literally makes you a better person. And I get to talk to one such person right now. His name, Billy T. Kahika Jr. He's a musician, a documentary filmmaker, a pastor, a civil liberties defender, and an investigator for something I'm very much looking forward to happening, the New 
New Zealand Citizens COVID Inquiry. And by the way, there's a website, nzcci.com. That's nzcci.com if you'd like to check that out. And we welcome to the program, Billy T. Kahika Jr. Hey, Billy, how are you going? I'm doing very well. And as we say in, um, as we say in, in Te Reo Māori Māori language, tēnā koe e te rangatira atahoa. And that is, that is um, good evening, wonderful, handsome chief. There you go. <laughs> yeah, the check's in the mail, my friend. Mate, I'm really excited. I'm so excited about what's happening with this inquiry. Um, New Zealand, a place that I went to every year for four weeks of every year for a lot of years, and it, it reminded me just 12 years ago, it reminded me of Australia back in the 80s. It just had that feel. Didn't matter if I went to Masterton and up to Fungaray, you know, in the city, Auckland, Mount Eden, wherever I went, it just felt brilliant. The people uh, were wonderful. And the country, it just felt like everything was going to be fine forever. That was the vibe. That is how New Zealand felt. Along comes this ugh, Jacinda Ardern. And, mate, I could feel the pain from here. I could feel the pain. Mate, just tell me how... New Zealand has changed over the last four years as a result of one a term under her. Well, actually, it was, it was actually six years because she was elected into uh, the uh, the prime minister role in 2017. So we've actually we actually endured her for well over five years because don't forget she decided that she was going to resign in in December 2022, which came into effect in, in February uh, 2023. And um, we look, you and I were talking about this before we went live. Um, the beautiful New Zealand that you're familiar with, the beautiful New Zealand that I grew up with, I'm 51 years of age, um, certainly is not apparent at the moment. We've we've had, you know, the disastrous effects of, of Marxism. You could say it's socialism, but it's it's beyond that. It's more it's more Marxism. And let's not forget that Jacinda Ardern was the president-elect between 2008 and 2009 of the International Union of Socialist Youth, which is a which is a Marxist uh, incubator. And this um, this person who was a very uh, low-profile politician within the the Labour Party um, was elected at the very last minute she took over the leadership of the Labour Party and then hey presto you guessed that she won the election in 2017 because uh, she was able to stitch a deal up with a couple of other minor parties because of MMP over here she didn't actually win based on votes she won based on cutting a deal and uh, she cut that deal and uh, and then immediately went about re-engineering, socially re-engineering, economically re-engineering our country. And then once uh, COVID-19 came along, that gave her a platform to fully exercise the ideology that she wanted to see fully implemented in New Zealand, which has caused so much harm. It's indescribable. Hey, another student of Klaus Schwab, her, you know, Justin Trudeau, yep. you know, we're seeing their fingerprints all over the world. And uh, mate, and she seemed like a nice person in that first, you know, that first couple of years. Now, anyone, oh, what a pleasant, what a what an upbeat, what a kind woman. You know, some would say not delving into her history, not delving into that which she was uh, appointed. I would say appointed there. I mean, she didn't get there by accident, and it certainly wasn't the people who ultimately were responsible for having such a limited choice at the ballot box that led to her. This is how they do it. Um, the, the problem is, mate, I just, uh, a lot of people happy she's not there anymore, but there she is off to a, a job with higher pay, probably a lot less to do, and more global governance. So really there's nothing to be happy about with her departure other than the fact that she's no longer there. 
Yeah, quite correct. But don't forget, she's got that program called the Christchurch Call to Action with President Macron, which is really a global um, operation to cut down on free speech. Let's not forget that she was at the UN just a short um, 18 months to two years ago, and where she famously came out with, with her slogan that free speech is a, is a weapon of war. And she's continuing that war right now. She's working uh, with Macron and uh, all of the other state partners and actors that are involved with that at limiting and cutting down on free speech. And in fact, redefining free speech as a potential domestic terrorism crime. Um, so she's still involved with that. And to be fair, um, I would suspect within the next couple of years, she'll be putting her hand up to be a candidate for the secretary general's role of the United Nations. That's where I think she's going to, that's where I think she's going to end up. That's my gut feeling. Yeah, it, it, it all fits, all the puzzle pieces fit. And, uh, you know, what she wants to do with free speech and how they want to tell you that misinformation and disinformation, of course, it will be the polar opposite of that. And, of course, I mean, the absolute attack on humanity is free speech. I mean, if you can't if you can't say that which you think, how can that ever lead to action? How can people ever hope for better outcomes if they can't uh, debate an issue and they would shut down and stifle any of that and mate, again it is beyond horrific and of course in lockstep with australia with the uk with canada and if people haven't woken up and i know we all have all the people here at tnt you know but what about the other half of the population or the other two-thirds of the population that thinks you know the old australian adage she'll be right mate well she won't be all right because there's a lot of bad people out there doing bad things all the uh the woodwork is infiltrated with their white ants and they're not even hiding in the background anymore they're just out there because there are so many of them they, they cover every asset you know whether it be military you know uh, the media uh politics i mean they are all over it hollywood is full of them it, it's just absolutely horrific mate you're in very good company i i see here i do believe that malcolm roberts is uh going to be lending a hand with this inquiry senator malcolm roberts is is one of those unique uh individuals who he's a farmer he's He's a, he's a good he's a good Aussie he's a good Aussie ocker, and um, he's he's quite an inspiration. He's someone I've watched for for a fair while, and um, I've gotten to know the good senator over a period of probably about uh, would be easily about 14, 15 months now, and he's been a great help. He's he's also involved with my documentary River of Lies: The New Zealand Scandemic. We've just released episode one, which is getting highly reviewed around the world. People want to check that out, go to www.riveroflies.co.nz, riveroflies.co.nz. Um, but Senator Roberts, he's involved heavily in episodes two and three because he's talking from the from the from an angle of of an inquiring uh, politician who's got these concerns. Now, keep in mind, TNT listeners, that here in New Zealand, we don't have one sitting politician that's prepared to stand up and defend civil liberties and human rights in New Zealand. Not one, and let alone one. one that not one, let alone one that will stand up and actually say that that there are huge, huge uh, chasms of problems uh, with uh, with the COVID-19 narrative and want to investigate them. So, I mean, obviously, you've got Senator Roberts, you've got Senator Antic, you, I mean, Barbara, you, you've got a number of um, senators um, and former MP, of course, Craig Kelly, that are men and women that are standing up in Australia in the political realm, but we don't have one here. So I'm afraid I've kind of, uh, I've told him that I'd like to adopt them into my Māori tribe <laughs> and bring, 
bring him back here and have him stand in New Zealand. But he is. Um, I'm planning to come to, uh, as I was saying to one of the TNT team earlier today, I'm planning planning to be in Brisbane in the second week of uh, um, of February, and I'm, I'm certainly hoping to catch up with the good senator then um, as part of the work that I'm doing with the New Zealand Citizen uh, COVID-19 inquiry. I love that you're doing it. Um, Malcolm Roberts, uh, a good friend of mine. We met when we were on the campaign trail, both for the Senate, me in New South Wales, him in Queensland, and we went there with another fella and and I, I heard his speech and I was just gobsmacked and I went up to him, shook his hand and we've been mates ever since. A guy, you hang off every word, his empirical knowledge is second to none, his logic, his reason, but more importantly, he is about as fair dinkum as you can possibly get a guy who is in it, but not for himself at all, much to his own detriment, I, I would argue, uh, solely because he's in it for the country. And, and of course, you know, uh, we're separate countries, Australia and New Zealand, but we are we are like brothers and sisters, our, our, oh, our two, two brothers, you know, uh, in, in this fight. Uh, stay with us because we're going to do a short commercial break. Then we're going to be back with Billy T. Kahika Jr. Everyone, stay tuned. This is TNT. Big news, news, news. Story which contains more than first meets the ear. TNT Radio News. Matt Boyland here with a look at your TNT headlines. Donald Trump has called for urgent action to be taken to stop Democrats from stealing the upcoming presidential election. Just when we thought we had seen the last of COVID-19, authorities in Australia are once again sounding the alarm. And America's first mission to the moon in more than 50 years has failed after its unmanned spacecraft suffered a fuel leak making it impossible to carry out a soft landing on the lunar surface. Don't miss a thing. Be sure to download the TNT radio app from either the Apple App Store or Google Play so you can easily listen live to us anywhere, anytime. Available right now to download. Keeping you up to speed on TNT radio. And welcome back. I'll tell you what, I, uh, get some ter- I've been getting some terrific guests lately. I mean, I absolutely have been getting some of the best guests that I've had in radio for 20 years, and this one, uh, Billy T. Kahika Jr., is absolutely that. Um, he's a musician, a documentary maker, a pastor, civil civil liberties defender, and an investigator for the New Zealand Citizens COVID Inquiry. Mate, when does all this kick off? And um, uh, tell us what we're hoping to achieve at the end of this. Well, it's already kicked off. It kicked off for me 38 months ago, March 2020. Uh, I knew that there was something wrong with the narrative straight away. It didn't add up. I was in lockdown. Um, I wasn't actually, I'd, I'd just been in Chicago working with my family and the announcement that we had an epidemic was made and something felt different about it. I got my family back home to New Zealand. It was declared obviously a pandemic on March the 11th and um, and, I, and basically I, I locked my family and I away. I'm ex-New Zealand Army in police. Um, I've, I, I completed the, uh, the introductory courses with the New Zealand Military Intelligence Corps. And I learned all the basics of research and investigation from an intelligence point of view. So what I did was I grew a big, big beard, never had one before in my life. And I, and I dug deep into the topic of the, the narrative. And within the first hour of my studying this inquiry, I found problems with the with the narrative straight away, conflicts of interest, patents that were directly re- related uh, to the issue of COVID-19 that w- had been around for years um, people that were investing in coronavirus research, patenting, the, the global pandemic exercises, SPARS 2017, event 201, uh, 2019, etc., that told me that there was something hugely wrong with this picture. So I got into it then. I led the largest civil liberties um, political party in New Zealand ever. 
and 60 candidates across New Zealand. Um, I was voted the fourth preferred Prime Minister in a very serious uh, Colmar Brunton uh, public opinion poll here. And um, I had 78,000 people in my personal support database, um, and I had millions and millions of people through my messaging. And we were told after the uh, after the election that we had 30,000 votes. So it didn't add up for us, but that was never the something to dwell on. It was more uh, urgent that we dwell on why this was happening. So I've been involved in this for a long time. I've been arrested for it. I faced jail for protesting against lockdown harm and the loss of freedoms in New Zealand. I was going to be in prison for four months, the, the heaviest um, uh, sentence of its kind for someone who's protested during a lockdown. They wanted to persecute before it so what i did was i thought after that i thought if i don't if i don't record it we're never going to have it recorded properly so i did a documentary i've gotten through the documentary and then i realized that the next stage had to come and that was a, a citizen-led inquiry into how this last almost four years managed to happen um under the leadership of ardoon but also championed by other by other parties we're not just talking about the party and the government that was in power. It was a total house supported response. There were one or two um, MPs that weren't happy with it, but nobody stood up and said it had to stop. So basically the difference with this inquiry here, Dean, is that our stated objective um, and statement is that we believe and allege that there've been crimes committed. That's number one. We allege that the New Zealand government, Labor government under Ardern and her ministers have committed either professional negligence or criminal malfeasance through their uh, COVID-19 response strategy. We do not believe that they've acted in good faith with the people of New Zealand. And basically what we're also going to do is compile the evidence through an inquiry. And once we have compiled that evidence and believe it or not, I've got most of it already, um, we are going to take our evidential uh, package um, offshore. We're gonna get international legal opinion on it. And then when we come back from that, we are going to seek a civil litigation case as well as a group criminal complaint against the government. Now, we are not making out that this is just an inquiry just for the sake of, of an inquiry. We want to see people held accountable. We want the truth and we want justice. And out of that, I believe we will get reconciliation and we may be able to heal our deeply wounded and divided country. So that's it in a nutshell. Um, it's a pretty big, it's a pretty big deal, and it's a lot of great people involved in in the inquiry. The best of scientists, doctors, former policemen, investigators. We've got um, even speaking of international politicians, Andrew Bridgerton has uh, has agreed to help me out. We've got other people uh, that are very famous on uh, in in terms of this topic internationally, and so it's a big deal. But we're going into it to hold people accountable. We're not pretending that it's nothing else. We do. We know that there's something that's happened here that's been very, very terrible. I think these, uh, in the scoping investigation that I've been doing for 38 months now, I believe there's more than enough evidence that that there have been crimes committed here. Now we've got to get get to the business of proving it. I, I couldn't be more on board with that. I mean, that's what we need. We need to see prosecutions. We need to see people behind bars for this because, I mean, lives have literally been lost. There were lies. I mean, the amount of economic uh, damage that's been done to our, our countries, respectively, and all around the world is just horrific. Um, I think it was very evident from, you know, early, early January um, of 2020 
there was something very wrong with this, a disproportionate push for this jab um, for something that, A, didn't seem too frightening at all. Um, the fact that they reclassified what a pandemic was historically back in 2009, it was nothing like that. But of course, the stigma was still there with the word pandemic. And the one thing I think that we'll probably were both shocked by was just how many people fell for this, because I thought, no, nah, we're smarter than that. We won't as a as a large group. I thought you'll be lucky to get 30% of people to put their, you know, roll their sleeve up. No, apparently they said it was 95% of people in this particular country. I would suggest that's a lie as well. And it was about 65%. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I mean, I'm like you. I used to, I mean, you know, New Zealanders and Kiwis and Aussies, we all like to think that we're, you know, we're dig our own ditch type of men, fix our own fences and, um and think things out, be, you know, critical thinking and freedom loving and, and you know, ready to put up a fight if those things are, are, are at risk. But what surprised me is the how quickly people rolled over in New Zealand. But we have to keep in mind that the level of propaganda of fear, the fear campaign was second to none. It was well rehearsed. It was well planned. It was lockstep. Um, all of the media houses across the planet all were working together in lockstep. The same funders in the United States were the same funders, you know, in, in continental Europe behind the media and further afield. We had the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and um, funding universities and, and New Zealand and, and doctors and scientists that were on side with the gov government at the time. We had a relationship with our prime minister, uh, with Bill Gates and uh, Klaus Schwab, that's, that is very uncomfortable as a citizen looking at um, a, a, a politician that's meant to be uh, working for the people of New Zealand, seeming more like that she's working for or was working for and still is working for uh, foreign interests like Gates and, uh, and Schwab uh, within the World Economic Forum. And, you know, this inquiry, Dean, is it's not a malicious inquiry. We're not, I'm not, I'm a pastor and I'm not doing this out of hate for them. I'm not doing this out of vengeance and, and evil malice. That's not what's driving me at all. What is driving me is, is the absolute motivation for justice for all of those that have lost their family members, that have lost their houses, their relationships, who have been um, neglected, rejected, because they did not take a, a, a experimental mRNA drug into their arms from a company like Pfizer, who is one of the most corrupt corporate criminals in pharmaceutical history, um, and that was recommended by Dr. Bill Gates. Oh, sorry, he's not a doctor, but actually, you know what? Strangely enough, that is a bit of a joke of mine. But strangely enough, he does have an honorary medical doctorate from from Kazakhstan Backblock University, somewhere I used to know the name, but it's some sort of eastern, eastern, far eastern uh, Kazakhstan type university gave him a doctorate in medicine. So I can't use that one anymore, really, technically. <laughs> you could probably find one in the bottom of a cornflake box in that particular country, <laughs> that being the case. Mate, we've run out of time, of course. Um, we're going to be keeping in contact a lot because I want to find out what's happening with this inquiry moving forward. Uh, you said part one of the documentary at uh, riveroflies.co.nz. Did I get that right? You're perfect. Mate, everyone, get on there. Check out part one. How many more parts to come, Billy? There's two, and part two was um, episode one is about debunking the claims of the government using their own data, et cetera. The second one is about vaccines and the entire plan around that. I'm involved in that right now. We're doing, in fact, I'm working on it right now. As soon as I get off this, I'm back to work on that. But that's going in tandem with the New Zealand citizen 
COVID-19 inquiries. So I look forward to keeping in touch. And thank you, TNT, Dean, for having me. You guys are fantastic. Thank you. Everybody, that is Billy T.K. Hicker Jr. You can get onto the website nzccci.com and riveroflies.co.nz. A terrific fella and one we'll be talking to much more here at TNT. Thanks for coming on the program. My pleasure. All right, we'll be back with uh, Dr. Peter Reed, everybody, right after this. Hang around. Right now, the forgotten poor are waiting for healing and care, for life-saving medical care, for a chance to live with dignity and hope. They are waiting for Mercy Ships and you. Mercy Ships is the largest floating civilian hospital in the world with volunteer medical staff and crew who donate their time to save lives. And now, as our newest state-of-the-art hospital ship sets sail, Mercy Ships will double our ability to reach children and adults who need us now. Without the work of Mercy Ships, these patients don't have another option. Mercy Ships is answering the call to serve suffering people who have nowhere else to turn. Together, we are going to some of the world's most desperate places and bringing a wave of hope and healing to those who need it most. To learn more about this wave of hope, go to mercyships.org today. <laughs> My baby's back from the West Coast. <laughs> Hear those pictures that you asked for for your school project? First day of school, cute as a button. <laughs> so long ago. Oh, here's Grandma Florence after that flood wiped out the whole neighborhood. Sometimes I just cannot believe all the storms we've gone through here. I can only hope that we'll be able to leave this house to you one day, baby. You're our legacy. Planning for these disasters will make sure we're safe. And it's the best way to protect that legacy. Ah, those beans smell heavenly. Mm -hmm. Give mom a little credit. You know what? We should make an emergency communication plan. That way we're ready this year. Oh, great idea. At my dorm, we have emergency kits for earthquakes and wildfires, but I'm sure there's something more local I can send you with the link. Okay, smart. I'm coming to share with you guys. Protect your legacy. Plan for natural disasters today. Visit ready.gov forward slash plan. The conversation continues, continues with Dean Mackin on today's News Talk TNT Radio. It certainly does. And thanks for sticking with us. If you'd like to get on the online chat, you can do that. Or you can give us a, a call on 1-800-670-310 as Siv has done. G'day, Siv. Just a brief one, uh, back down the COVID theme again, only because we've now been told that if we uh, get get onto a plant-based diet, apparently we'll ward this thing off. Now, look, I just want to say this to Mr. and Mrs. I'm High, who like giving us statistics and directives. If you are a very close member of my family and you tell me something because you actually have interest in my welfare, I'm probably more likely to listen to you. But if you are some distant bureaucrat or distant government official who tells me stuff or some distant department, I'm probably likely to question it. I don't know about anybody else, but that's the way I see it. And I think we've got to do that with a lot of these things. Good to talk to you, Dean. Good to talk to you, Stephen. As I taught my son from pretty much as soon as he could talk, question everything. I don't care if it's your dad, your mum, your brother, your sister, even people you trust, 
they could get it wrong too. So question everything. And how can you have an opinion unless that opinion is one that you've formed, not one that was injected into your psyche or one that uh, was, you know, thrust upon you because you heard something over and over and over again. No, every opinion should be your own. Otherwise, it's not worth having. Uh, my next guest is Dr. Peter Ridd. He is a former professor and head of physics at James Cook University in Townsville. His most recent book is called Reef Heresy, uh, Science, Research and the Great Barrier Reef. Uh, Dr. Ridd is an adjunct fellow at the IPA, leading a project for real science and supporting academics, speaking out for integrity in science and research. He did a terrific article in The Australian called Ill Wind Fans and Flames of Regions, Renewable Energy War. I've read the whole thing and I, I started highlighting the good bits. Then I realised I'd run out of marker because I'd highlighted the whole thing. Every single bit of it was something that needed highlighting. And we've got him on the program with us right now. Dr. Peter Ridd, how are you? Very well, thank you. Mate, thanks for, for coming on. Mate, this madness that is going on and the billions upon billions of dollars that it's going to cost us, and not just that, but, I mean, how tragic our coastline is going to look moving forward. Uh, where, where do you want to start? Oh, exactly. I mean, I think you're talking about the uh, the windmills, and that is a, it's just a shocking thing that you could even consider doing that to you know, large swathes of the coastline. The only good thing about it is I think it's finally brought home to some of the city people what a lot of the uh, destruction from the renewable energy side of things will happen, will will do. Up here in North Queensland, we've got some big ones that have been built along the, the ranges here. But of course, the people in the cities don't care about that, but they're probably doing way more damage than even these coastal ones. Well, I, I couldn't believe, you know, some of the technology that they're going to use, it's brand new. It doesn't sound like it's going to stand the test of times of these things. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, they're two, up to 200 metres tall and they're floating. They've got chains that weigh hundreds of tonnes, weighing them down. And we know the ocean. We know how unpredictable the ocean, the swell, the wind and all that is. An accident waiting to happen. And even if they do last as long as to be expected, even that lifespan's only, what, about a dozen years if they're lucky. Exactly. That you know, even if they they stand up to the the the, uh, the sea, the waves, which they probably will, but you know, there'll be a lot of uh, destruction there. But you know, the 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 blades don't last very long, and these are these are blades are enormous. You know, you're talking about you know, almost a hundred meters long in many cases. They're made out of fiberglass, and they have a certain lifetime. And when that's over, you can't recycle them. These are completely unrecyclable things. Um, you know, the renewable energy has a huge footprint. You know, the, the footprint of these is in square kilometres, tens of square kilometres along, you know, tens or even hundreds of kilometres of coastline when they finish them. This is not, you know, a lot of renewable energy is great. You know, if you build solar panels out in the middle of the desert where there's no uh, environmental footprint almost, but in high-value coastline places, why would you want to do this when you could build a perfectly decent nuclear reactor somewhere or use extremely clean natural gas like they've got in Victoria. Yeah, mate, and in this country, of course, there's good old-fashioned coal still in abundance and it's just down the road. Uh, mate, there's going to be a massive rally. They're calling it the Reckless Renewables Rally, and it's going to be massive. There's going to be people coming from all states and uh, mate, people are just mad as hell. They're not going to take it anymore. Uh, tell people about what they can expect if they rock along to this rally. Well, I'm hoping to be there. And um, essentially, it's a, a bit of an organised opposition to what's going on everywhere. Um, 
in Australia, you know, there's the offshore wind farms, but in every state there are problems. And I'm hoping it's also going to be a, a little bit of a, a gathering of farmers. You're seeing a lot of farmers getting extremely upset in, in Germany at the moment and farmers and fishermen and foresters right around Australia are being very badly dealt with. I know it's a slightly different issue to the renewables, but I look at this in terms of the way that the city elites are telling us guys up out in the, the regions what we have to do. We've got to put up with all this stuff so that the city can um, virtue signal. It's the same with what's happened with agriculture. They're closing down the forestry industry. They're closing down fishing industries like up on this coast here, down in Tasmania. But virtually everywhere fishing is being closed down. So I think this is the beginning of a major revolt from the regions where we just starting to say enough is enough. It is. It's very similar to something I was talking about earlier during the program. You know, people hear about this as a concept. You know, it's all government funded. They don't realise that our great grandkids will be paying the interest on these things. And it's very much the uh, parallel that I drew was like the war in the Ukraine. doesn't matter what side you're on, and you don't just think of it as a war. If you could see all these young, dead people, that is the true cost of that war. That is what we should be mortified about, not the fact that there's a war, but look at what's behind it. And when you have a look at these wind farms and the tremendous amount of damage that they are likely to do to marine life, to bird life and whatever, then you've got some of these Labor politicians primarily saying that there's no evidence of that, you know, and we're just, it's misinformation or disinformation. Of course, they have no evidence that that is not true either. Uh, that's very true. And I think it's very interesting about this Victorian uh, wind farm, which Plibersec is just not back. You see, this is the first time one of these has been basically on the doorstep of Melbourne, you know. So they don't like the idea of having the environmental destruction or the potential environmental destruction, and they've knocked it back. But it's fine to do it somewhere up in North Queensland or, yes. or in a seat that's not likely to ever turn to, to Labor. And yes, and, and I think it's rather nice that uh, there's a sort of a sense of irony that people are now talking about the damage that these wind farms will cause to whales. And, and I'm not convinced that they, they are particularly damaging to whales, but we don't know. But, you know, when they tried to build the Adani mine up here in North Queensland, there was this thing called the black-throated finch. And the environmentalists came out of the woodwork to say that somehow the mine was going to kill all the black-throated finches. So the boot, and then we've got the, you know, the big Barossa a gas project up in the Northern Territory. They stopped that because of the song lines for the serpent, uh, the rainbow serpent. So <laughs> it was certainly a song line thing. So now the boot's on the other foot and that we're now talking about whales to stop um, wind farms. Now, we, re we really got to be completely scientific about it, but there is a nice sense of irony, I think. I think it's terrific. I mean, sometimes I love environmentalists. Um, a good point that you made about it not going ahead down in Melbourne because of their political persuasions. I couldn't believe it. I live on the central coast of New South Wales and going from Nora Head, which I can get to in about five minutes from where I am right now, all the way up through the Hunter, it's hardcore Labor territory. They always win up here, or almost always, and uh, I just couldn't believe that they got away with it. I mean, we dodged a bullet here off Nora Head, and all they did was move it further up into Labor territory. But again, if many people could, uh, if we could focus them on some of these uh, environmentalists and maybe the, the black-throated uh, finch or whatever it was, mate, we'll have to do whatever we can to stop this. But anything we can do to get people to this reckless renewables rally, because it's going to be on the first sitting day of Parliament. And that's going to send a big message as to what they can expect for the rest of the year if they don't uh, do what's right. 
precisely. So we need a big crowd and we really need to tell a lot of these people who are still voting Labour who haven't realised that Labour is not old. You know, I've got a lot of time for old style Labour. I voted for Bob Hawke regularly, you know, every time I voted for Bob Hawke because he was after the little guy, whereas Labour's no longer. They're after the elites, the uh, centre city. You know, coal miners in the Hunter need to realise Labour's not for them. They haven't been for decades. Um, and hopefully, I mean, the farmers are really starting to see it. You're seeing the, the big mining companies are finally <laughs> turning on the Labor government as well. If you read the front page of The Australian just the, the other day, yesterday. So hopefully the, the big rally is part of uh, uh, things to come, uh, the, the fight back. It made very true what you said about Labor as well. Um, and again, I think I used the analogy the other day about a yardstick. I mean, the politicians, many of the politicians who were there, whether it be Mark Latham or John Howard, as 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 you, uh, I think it was John Howard. Was it John Howard you just mentioned? Uh, no, Bob Hawke. Sorry, sorry, Bob mm, Hawke. Sorry, yeah. uh, I didn't think I didn't think I got that right. But he's not um, <laughs> with with Bob Hawke. Mate, they they've stayed true. I mean, they've stayed true, and the party has drifted off to the left. I mean, they are tantamount to as mad as the Greens were 10, 10 years ago. And uh, mate, that's where we're at. And again, if people can realise that they're no longer representative of the workers at all, in fact, it's uh, more of a communist movement, if anything, and certainly uh, that they don't have Australia's long-term interests in mind. Mate, how can people find out about this, this rally? And you'll, you'll be a big part of it. Uh, you'll be down there, yeah, talking? Yeah, ho hopefully, yeah. I'm just organising things at the moment, so touch wood, it should, I should be down there. Just uh, Google Reckless Renewables Rally, 6th of February, in Canberra, try to make it if you can. Anybody who's close by within a few hours' drive, it's your it's your duty to be there, I think. <laughs> it, it is their duty. Something we'll be pushing very hard here at TNT. It's funny, I'm watching, I'm reading this, uh, this uh, article that you wrote, and you've got all these Labor politicians and all these paid, you know, cash for comment experts. And a lot of that which they sprout, it seems like rhetoric. They're all reading or from the same hymn book, it would uh, seem. But, uh, mate, certainly there's, they don't have much evidence. And a lot of the stuff that they are sprouting, it's all for technology that's brand new. And how can you advocate? How can you have any kind of empirical evidence moving forward for technologies that are brand new that uh, not many other people have adopted? And certainly uh, I know over in Europe they've dropped a couple of uh, uh, offshore wind farms. They're not going ahead there either. So it seems this thing may never happen. And I'd love to think that was the case. Well, I certainly hope that most of them get knocked on the head. Um, Australia's got to look at nuclear power. You know, the, all the stuff that nuclear is not safe, it's just not right. Um, you know, the, the storage of the waste is a very easy very easy thing. Most people don't realise that the ground is full of radiation. You're being irradiated by the ground all the time. Nuclear waste disposal is a trivial problem to spot solve. There's a lot of ridiculous um, fear-mongering about it, maybe mostly by the Labor and the Green politicians. So, you know, th that is actually our solution. If you if you really can't, afford, can't you know, go for coal or gas, which doesn't make sense because it's really uh, not a big problem, then the option must be nuclear, not wind and uh, not so much solar either. Yeah, and I think, I mean, having not just reliable but cheap energy reserves, I mean, it's paramount to, to moving forward as a nation. I mean, I can't believe over in Germany at the moment. Of all countries, Germany, you know, they have some austerity measures. They've got the farmers blocking roads with tractors. Uh, the price of fuel is going up. Uh, that Nord Stream pipeline, don't even get me started on that. And just countries, I mean, if the Germans uh, have doubts about their future, I think we should all start to be worried. 
Exactly. I think Australia hasn't really seen what's happened in um, in Europe with the real energy crunch. And, you know, Germany's exported its huge petro uh, its huge chemical industry essentially to China because it's got expensive energy. And that's what we're doing as well. Every one of our aluminium refineries is basically staring down the barrel of a gun because our electricity will be too expensive. And all we'll do is export the emissions over to China. What good does that do? to anybody. Yeah, and, and for those who believe that there is a problem, they're telling us that it's a global problem. So if they're opening coal-fired power stations and doing all of that on other parts of the planet, what have we solved? There is net zero gain. All we've done is ruin this country for future generations. And I, I dare say at the end of this charade, that is the, their ultimate goal. It's all about getting us into debt. None of it makes any sense. The technology doesn't exist quite yet to do anything that makes any sense uh, other than what you suggested in, in nuclear. Safe, effective, we could have it. We've seen it in other parts of the world. Australia, not that many, you know, we're pretty safe as far as tectonic activity. All of that, I mean, what a, there couldn't be a better place to do it. I think it's absolutely wonderful that article you, you wrote, Dr. Peter Ridd. And uh, in the Australian, by the way, people, go and check it out. Mate, and I thank you for coming on the program today. Thanks very much. My pleasure. Cheers. And we'll certainly get Dr. Peter Ridd back on, but somebody who's right across it. And again, that's one thing that you absolutely must do. We will remind you here at TNT to get along to the Reckless Renewables Rally, because if we don't make a big song and dance about this, they're going to walk all over us. And again, I, I'm telling you, this is all about getting us into debt. If you think $1.1 trillion currently is a big debt, you ain't seen nothing yet. And it's our kids and our grandkids are going to have to pay for it. And you know what? We're not going to be able to sell any. Anyway, We'll get to it. I'm running out of time. Back after the news headlines.